Welcome to What Now, a weekly podcast that dives into the insights and learnings from the world's most innovative brands, CEOs, and founders. I'm joined by Maya Drazen, Chief Brand Officer of Time. My goodness, welcome to the show, Maya. It is great to have you here. I cannot tell you, my heart is racing so fast because you guys have so much to share and I can't wait to dive in. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I love um, I love everything about being here and thank you for noticing the, the work that we're up to. Oh, absolutely. And I, th- I feel like, look, the first time we met, the fact that we both have the same very niche reading glasses, I just knew that we had to be friends, whether you liked it or not, basically. Oh, I was all in. <laughs> I'm just sad you're not wearing them today. I wanted to let your glasses shine all on their own. Okay. They're perfect. <laughs> thank you for that. So to kick it off, I like to ask people about the business they're in versus what they sell. And I always use this example of McDonald's. We know that McDonald's sells burgers and fries, but they're actually in the real estate business. In the 80s, they secured as many prime real estate locations as possible. We're talking highways, airports, malls, basically anywhere where people were on the move. They focused on securing the best real estate to build their business, not build the best burger. So with that in mind, what business is time actually in? Such a great question. And I love the way you framed it. Um, I would have to say that we are in the trusted storytelling business and moving into our next hundred years, we are in the building a better future business, which is such an interesting thing for a media company to say. I think, you know, we turned a hundred last year for a hundred years, people have turned to us for objective and reassuring stories about the most important moments in history. When something goes down, they turn to time to kind of better understand what's going on there. First in the magazine, then online, lately in full-length feature films, um, which we're doing through Time Studios. And so for the next 100 years, we're going to keep telling those stories in those same ways, because that's what people count on us for. But I think new to all this is purpose-driven to build a better future, to to use the platform that we have to tell the stories that move people towards solutions to some of the world's biggest problems, you know, whether that's starting the conversations with the most influential people in the world, which we do through things like the Time 100, or highlighting the solutions that entrepreneurs or other interesting people are doing, like yourself, building community, which has come out of the Web3 work that we've been doing and even developing portfolios that go beyond carbon offsets to being carbon neutral and nature positive with our latest launch of Time CO2, which you know is for small and medium-sized businesses. So I think really thinking about what are the biggest issues of our time and how we can play a part in solving them. Now, this is kind of remarkable because we're living in an era right now. You talk about telling people's stories. This is the period in time where we are flooded with the rise and power of those individual storytellers. I'm talking content creators. So yeah. whether you know it's on TikTok or Instagram, individuals are having tens of millions of fans and they're wielding you know, far more influence than some of the traditional media platforms. Um, and, and in fact, the struggle for some of these large media houses has been real, you know, slow growth, major cutbacks, but not time. So dare I say it, time has actually never been more exciting. Your revenues are increasing. You know, a year and a half ago, there was, I believe, 30% growth in revenue at a time when everybody else was feeling some major pain. And a recent article 
said that this new kind of growth has been the biggest growth in decades from time. So again, you you guys are really bucking the trend here. Uh, So everything I can see looking from the outside in, you are doing a ton to innovate the media space. Uh, I'm not surprised by the success of having been that bystander. Congratulations. Um, Of all the innovations you're doing and the things you just mentioned, what have been the biggest triggers of innovation for time in the past one to two years? So I, I think there's really been three. One is turning 100. And so you when you're turning 100 as a legacy media brand, to your point, uh, legacy media has been challenged for decades with the rise of digital trans. The digital transformation has put more access into the hands of more people. And as you know, that has allowed individuals to have the influence that said um, that has a downside to, which goes back to my saying that time is in the business of trusted storytelling, right? Like the, there's still a need for trusted storytelling for people or organizations that you can count on to be objective and to, to state the facts. But really, as you move into your next hundred years, you have to think very hard about what am I going to bring forward and what am I going to do differently to remain relevant for the next hundred years, which is is really that challenge. So I think that has been a big trigger of innovation. No resting on one's laurels. One has to proactively think about what am I going to do to be different? And that has led to, you know, so many things from Time Studios, which started making feature films. And I, I have to say, I saw some trailers of the upcoming films that they are working on, and they're so beautifully told that I was like, wow, this is really like, it is classic time storytelling, human driven stories, but in in a format, long form film that is done stupendously. And that makes all the sense in the world. I think the pandemic was another big trigger of innovation. You know, a lot of people shut down. We really leaned in. We digitized a lot of things that hadn't been digitized before out of necessity is the mother of invention. Um, if you look at it that way. And, and so there were plenty of things that transformed our business in the way that we did business. And I think even the conversation that we're having here and the, the forced move away from high, high, high end production values, which of course we can do, but the opportunity to do things like Time 100 Talks, where we would just talk to people like you're doing here um, from all over the world, from their homes with, you know, with their phones. And and that really opened up, I think, the opportunity for who we could talk to and how often we could do it and and all of those things. And then the last thing is you know, my favorite topic, the opportunity of Web3. And really, when two years ago, Mark Benioff said, can time play in this space? And Keith Grossman, who was president of Time at the time, he and I met at Wired, and he then went to Bloomberg. So he loves the finance side. And he personally is an art collector. And so it all kind of clicked in his head of how how we could play really well. And we jumped, as I would say, down that rabbit hole, and really um, mixing many, way too many metaphors, but drank the Kool-Aid and really see the opportunity and the potential of Web3 and have been exploring the space as a practitioner for the last two years. And that has been obviously really innovative and transformational. So I get to talk to a ton of executives at huge companies and there's always one person, whether it's the head of product, the CMO, who is leading the charge for Web3. But the challenge is getting all of the other divisions on board. So when you talk about jumping down that rabbit hole, did you face any challenges to get other members of the time team on board? Or was the whole company ready, willing to just go for it? Time is a very open place. When I first got there, I was really shocked at how um, engaged they were in immersive technologies. Like the first project I worked on was something called The March, which was a VR exhibit in Chicago that had the most 
real life digital human, most realistic digital human ever made. And it was at a time where most media had stopped actually kind of playing in the VR space. And so I was I was really impressed by how open time is, which was very, very helpful in that. I will say kind of four, four of us jumped fully down the rabbit hole, Keith, our CTO, myself, and um, a, a woman who worked for me who's now working 100% Web3. And in fact, everybody else is working 100% Web3. And we were kind of doing it off to the side of our real jobs, right? And so, but we had so much immediate success that it was hard to argue with. I mean, it was the, it was a bull market. It was awesome, right? And and so because it's an open, it's an open environment anyway, and because it was successful, it was easy to get support. Um, what's been great to see is the support even as it has gotten tougher, right? Like I think ultimately those of us who are still standing, still building, still excited are there for the long-term potential of this, which I think we all see versus any short-term runs. So you guys did something that was brilliant from a marketing and core product perspective, in my opinion. You talk about telling people's stories, but there's one story that you told that I think actually helped spur the entire industry forward. I don't know if you're aware of it. Maybe you already are. Maybe that was part of the plan. I'd love to know. But Nyla Hayes, she was 12 years old at the time, I believe, and Time named her their artist in residence. And that opened the door for women, marginalized communities, people who are used to being overlooked to think about what the opportunities might look like for them. Could they too be a Nyla Hayes in this new thing called Web3 and NFTs? Did you know that that was going to be the effect that you had in doing that? You know, it's so, we we chose Nyla because Nyla is an incredibly, is an incredibly talented artist. And yes, she was a digital phenom and she was beloved because she's an incredible artist and she leads with love. And she had been an OG in the clubhouse space, you know, like she had all of that. And we, what we did, we asked her to be our first artist in residence because we wanted to pair her with the classically time project. So time had done this very interesting thing in 2020 where they had realized that it had been men of the year until way too long. I think it may even have been the nineties. And so the editors did a project where they said, if we looked back through the past hundred years and we said, if they hadn't been men, who would they have been? And they named a hundred women that should have been women of the year if we, if they had been looking at it that way. And so that was a really incredible project. But Nyla, for those who don't know, was 12 and she drew, did her, she had two loves. One was uh, the brontosaurus dinosaur the long, with a long neck. And the other was the beauty of women, of diverse women, and how beautiful all women were, no matter what they looked like. And so she paired those two things together in what she calls long neckies. And so we thought, wouldn't it be amazing if she did long necky renditions of the 100 women who should have been women of the year? And that was the project we did for her. And I'm always thrilled when the outcome in this space, I mean, it really is the, when you elevate women in this space, it is inspirational and empowering at a level that you, I don't know if you don't see, or you're just not aware of outside of web three, but it really, you can tell it really, really helps. So I'm glad that, that you saw that as the outcome because 
part of our, you know, we're a values-based community in this space. And part of what we're trying to do is be inclusive. Time is a place that is accessible to all, always has been. And so we tried and carry that forward in Web3. And so that makes me very happy. Incredible story. And it's a story that I continue to hear no matter which panel or stage I'm speaking on in every continent. So it really was a history making story for you to share. And thank you, Time, for doing that. So you've had some great achievements. As you think about the weeks ahead this year, what are you spending your time each day, each week thinking about when it comes to growth using Web3, using other innovative blockchain technology, what's really consuming your mind? Well, I've actually been thinking a lot lately about how does how does the ethos and the technology of Web3 transform Web1 and Web2? And that also gets into generative AI and, and other things, but I'm actually mostly focused on that because I was on a stage at CES and I don't remember what the question was, but I ended up saying something that afterwards I was like, wow, the media traditionally has chosen to monetize digital content with a paywall. And nobody likes a paywall. The customer doesn't like it. It's like a wall that goes up while you're trying to read something. And the publisher doesn't really like it because it's disruptive. It keeps you from reading the stuff that we've created. But it is the it is the industry-wide standard for that. And just to clarify, we're talking about those banners that come up to block an article to then subscribe. Is that the Correct. paywall, just so everyone yeah. knows? Thank you. Exactly. And I said, and it's very antithetical to the Web3 ethos. It would, when I first got into Web3, I would say all the time, my 20 years of marketing instincts are all wrong in this space. Like what is up is down and what is left is right. It's just backwards. And I didn't really understand why, but on that stage, I began to understand because the ethos, the thinking in Web3 is backwards or it's diff, It's completely different. So in Web1, because I'm talking actually about Web1, not Web2 social, but Web1 the way that works is if you come only a few times, I'm not going to charge you. But if you come a lot of times, I'm going to charge you because I believe you to have, you're engaged enough to pay. But in a Web3 world, I wouldn't do it that way. I would give you more value the more you participated. And so what happens if you start to think about the media model from that perspective, from the perspective of the more you engage with me, the more value I try and deliver to you versus the more value I try and extract from you. And so I've been thinking about how literally if you come at it from that model, how does it change the way you think about it and the way you the way you engage with your with your consumer or your community in this case, because they become your family, which is a totally different thing. It is. Family, community, that's the new business we're all building, no matter what brand or product you're selling. With that in mind, then, what is the new KPI that you care most about in this business? We've got this backwards, flipped upside down model. What's the KPI? I think engagement is the KPI, right? I mean, engagement slash affection, if I may, right? I didn't really think about it that way, but it is sort of an affection. It's a connection. It's a bond that translates into ambassadorship, into family, into word of mouth marketing, but it, it goes so beyond that. And engagement isn't even enough of a word. I mean, Web3 really is the promise of ownership, right? So it's like people taking ownership of your brand in addition to just feeling affiliation with it. 
could that excitement and brand connection also be a pain point, do you think? Or, and if not, what are the pain points as time goes deeper into its growth and Web3 adoption? I think native Web3 can be challenging for big brands because it's one, 24-7. Two, it's a real two-way communication. I think we thought Web 2 was a two-way communication, but it wasn't really. It was like I said my part and then bunches of you said your parts in the comments. And it wasn't really expected that I definitively necessarily respond. I mean, there's some of that, but you get into FUD or into community and you were it is anticipated that you are engaging 24, somebody's engaging 24 seven answering questions. And that's hard for a business to, to sustain and scale. So I think that that's one piece of it. I think that there is the sense that your relationship with your consumer really begins after they buy the product, which I think is different. Like if I buy a pair of shoes, you're talking to me until the point I buy it. And then you're pr I'm pretty much on my own with my shoes, right? But if I buy an NFT that's tied to a community, my expectation is that the community is then going to deliver utility, a bunch of things for me for an indefinite period of time. And if you don't, you're rugging me. And so all of those expectations are need to be sorted out because they're not exactly realistic over time. It's very true. In that Web2 thinking, we liked and loved our brands. We'd make a purchase. And what would the brand do? Ask us to come and spend more. Hey, here's another, you know, here's another drop. Here's another shoe. Here's another bag. Here's another whatever it is. In Web3, that is flipped. It's, hey, thanks for buying this. Now let us deliver you a truckload of opportunities <laughs> and benefits that you never even saw coming so that you can keep feeling good about this purchase. Right. And that can't last. I mean, let's be real. That can't last forever. And there, because there's no timer on it. There's no it's not even like I'll deliver that for you for a year. I actually, I thought Coindesk, I don't know if you saw their recent drop, which was a three-year membership pass, but I loved one. It had a time, it was three years. It evolves over time, which I think is so, so the art evolves, like things in it evolve. I think that's so smart. So it's not a static thing that you buy once, but I really loved that they had a time period on it because I think that that's going to become more and more important. I think so too, because we still have more people coming into the space. If it's perpetual, it doesn't allow the opportunity for new audiences to come in and grow and reinvent what the community can, can look like. It can't refresh. All right. So let's think about trends then as we wrap this up. What are the trends that you're noticing for 2023? I think obviously there's a movement away from NFT and Web3, which is undeniable whether it, you know, you're calling them stamps or digital collectibles or like people not even wanting to use the words. Brands still very interested in the space, but not if they include those words. So I think that that's one trend. I think the movement uh, away from how does this work for native Web3 to how is this going to work for a much broader audience? And we're in a very transitional phase with that, I think. Um, it's early, as we would say, right? But we are definitely transitioning to what does this mean for the next 100 million people or 1 billion, whatever you want to name that. Um, and I, I think there's a lot more focus on that. And I think there's a lot more focus uh, away from PFPs towards art, but yet not giant art drops, but kind of, you know, smaller, more time pressure, like 
just uh, almost more artisanal, if I can use that word for it, you know, as opposed to these giant things. I'd love to know what advice would you give to a startup or an, a founder who's just getting going? I really, there are two, two philosophies that I really love for startup founders. I talk to a lot of them. One is the thousand fan idea, right? I think people think that they have to have millions and millions of people at scale. And Kevin Kelly, who was one of the original editors of Wired, has this concept called the thousand fans, which is you make 10 people really happy and then make 100 people really happy and then make 1,000. And then, you know, and I, I think there's something really, really powerful in that. The other thing I really, really love is the minimum lovable product versus the minimum viable product. And so in a minimum viable product, right? You're, you think about the whole thing and think about it like a pyramid. Think about the whole thing and you just build the very top of the pyramid because that's the starting point. But in minimum levelable product, you think of the whole pyramid and you take a slice up the side of it. So you're actually getting just a little bit of the bigger picture, but just at a smaller scale. And that's another one of my favorite, my favorite things. I'm always correcting people. Have you coined this minimum oh, it's lovable? No, it's a real thing. I have not heard this. Go Google it. There's like pictures and everything. I was about to give you full credit, but I will go Google oh, it. Oh, no, I, I, I can't take full credit, <laughs> but I, I love it so much because I think a minimum viable product usually just leaves most people like wanting more and a minimum level product doesn't. And it's true. We've always said, I think you go back to business school and they talk about, it's about who are your first 100 core ambassadors, brand consumers, the loyal, the most loyal of loyal. And then we somehow got caught up in this race to just pad that room now with a million followers. Forget whether or not they actually open your email or engage with your brand, but do you have the number that looks good? It's irrelevant in Web3. It's it's who's actually in the room listening, connecting, and paying attention. That's one of my favorite things about Web3 is it isn't necessarily – when you have that much scale, people are skeptical actually, right, and, and ask the questions of are those people actually engaged, and it really is – I mean, certainly people do that, but I think the organic growth and people who are really attached to you and your brand is is incredible. So my my final question is, you know, the name of the show, what now? It's been a hundred years. There's all of this happening. Maya, if you had to name one thing that you're most excited for that's coming up next for you, for time, what is that one thing? Oh my goodness, that is so hard. Uh, well, for time, I'm super excited about Time 100 this year because that is where we're going to celebrate our hundred, really celebrate our hundredth birthday, and we're always recognizing the most most important people with important being defined by having the most impact. And so, I'm always thrilled by what that is, but I'm really thrilled with that to see that in our hundredth year and with the direction that we're going. Um, as it relates to Web three, I'm really excited about the media use cases. It's like we spent so much time figuring out how to be organic and native web three. And I think the time has come to figure out how to be leaders in the media space about how this technology and how this ethos can radically transform the way consumers engage with content, the way creators engage with legacy brands. And I think all of that is really, really exciting and an exciting nut to crack. It is. My goodness, so much to dive into this. I feel like we've scratched the surface here, but I know that Time is working on a lot of very cool initiatives coming up for the year for their audience, for the brand partners that you have. Um, I even think internally too, we'll probably see some really cool shifts in how your team works. And I'm going to check back in with you on what those KPIs are looking like in a few months time. Look, 
Web3 is breaking all kinds of rules and traditions, so it only felt right that I would break some traditions here on this very show. Uh, so we're going to do something that pretty much no one else is doing. We're going to bring in someone from my community of listeners and followers, and they're going to ask you a question directly. Now, I should add, this is someone you don't know. Are you game for this? I love this. All right. Well, Ines, welcome. I'm so glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. This is great. Building Web3 is really exciting. I love Mavion and what, what your community brings. So, um, And it's so great to be able to ask uh, Maya questions about what Time Magazine is doing as a leading uh, industry leader. You are fantastic. I'm so happy you were here. Maya, just so you know, Ines works for a crypto financial company and she is the editor for Bitcoin for Women. Uh, Ines, uh, where are you joining us from today? I'm currently in the US between Boston and New York, but previously I was based in Hong Kong for almost 30 years and I lived in a couple other places in Asia. A woman of the world. I'm going to hand you the floor. What is your question? Well, I've been in media and entertainment for the past few decades, spanning from acting in China, in TV, film, and commercials, to creating videos for corporations, doing communications and education outreach for the crypto platform I work with. And everyone in the Web3 space and crypto space is talking about mass adoption. And so I'm really interested as a Time Magazine's very powerful media outlet, what are you doing that's at the forefront of building community in Web3? I know you launched Timepieces, which was very exciting, but you know we're not yet there at mass <laughs> adoption. So just was really interested to hear more about any projects that you have going on so that I can follow and the rest of us can follow. Well, thank you so much for that question. And thank you for coming on and for noticing what we're up to. Um, we entered Web3 almost exactly two years ago in March of 2021, selling one of one covers. And then we progressed, as you noted, to launching our community initiative of timepieces, which uh, has dropped 20,000 NFTs. We have 158 leading artists from the Web3 community. We have 60,000 members of our own community on a combination of Twitter and Discord. So we really, and I've only begun to see this, we really spent our time being native web. How does our brand translate into native web three? And how do we organically fit into this environment is how we spent the last two years. And to your point about mass adoption, I think the next phase of this is how do we bring, you know, we reach a hundred million people digitally who aren't native web three people. And how do we start to prepare them, onboard them, or more excitingly for them, I think, use the ethos and the technology of blockchain to make their experience with our media and our storytelling better. And so really a lot of transition in our thinking from how do we as a brand be native Web3, which we love. And, you know, as far as the community goes, you know, we may have been maintaining that community Um Mel Tall, uh, who I don't know if you all know, but a very smart woman in uh, Web3, highly be like water uh, on Twitter, um, genius and really a, a huge influence for me. Recently said in a space that I was in, you know, it, normally um, your relationship with a consumer starts until you sell them the product. But in Web3, it starts once you sell them the product. And so there's a lot to be learned about kind for any any big brand about the maintenance of that relationship on an ongoing basis and that relationship not only being it being a very two-way very 24 7 conversation um that i think is 
may be hard to scale and may be hard for a lot of big corporations to do. So on the community front, we're in, I mean, we're in there. We've been in there since we first yeah. got in and I love that piece of it. Um, and I think it really builds strong connections with the community and they become, you know, one of my favorite things about Web3 is they become your biggest ambassador, which as we move into our next hundred years, I think that, you know, your question about community is so good because I think that we need to move away from readers, right? We had readers and then we have users digitally and then we had consumers on social. And now I love the the movement towards community, but that comes with a lot of, what does that actually mean, you know? Yeah, I have found in my experience, um, education is key and just the very basics of opening a wallet in order to even transact in Web3 is something that's just the first step. And then acquiring your ETH or whatever crypto. And that just, I have found for beginners, just a huge learning curve. But in the end, it shouldn't be because it's just an app in the phone, you know, where you can acquire your ETH to do any kind of purchase of an NFT and then join a community, you know, so, and that's how I met Michelle. Oh, uh, she's just got a great, um, a great project where fashion meets NFT digital and digital fashion. It's really exciting. And it just yeah. keeps evolving, doesn't it? It's, yeah. This is definitely the industry to keep us all young, hopefully for a very, very mm. long time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Ines. It has been great to have you join us. And I mean, we've got two new friends here now. You've got two new Web3 connections. So good to meet you both. This is really exciting. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Absolutely. And to our listeners, you could be joining us next week. Submit your questions at michellejreeves.com and you could be selected to come join us on an upcoming episode. Join me and our future mystery guests who are all pretty awesome. Uh, Maya, thank you so much for a great conversation. I cannot wait to see what you and time are doing next. I mean, look how far it's come in a hundred years. What will the next look like. Thank you for having me. It was really, really great. I really appreciate it. Uh, and to everyone, if you've enjoyed this, share it with a friend, do them a favor, keep them up to date as well. You can follow me at Michelle J Reeves on Instagram and Twitter. See you next week.